A reading from Acts. Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said to the Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said. For we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The word of the Lord. A reading from 1 Peter. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your heart sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. The word of the Lord. 
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, and the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Love to me is a very important experience in life and one that is expanded by Christianity. Practicing love is one of the most important things in life because it connects people. We are not just marbles bouncing off one another. We are meant to live into relationships with one another. We are like a web with each person acting as a point on that web The connecting tissue, the silk that connects one geometric shape to another, is love itself. Love makes people stronger, and by being vulnerable, one opens oneself up, and vulnerability is real power and real strength. Love is embraced vulnerability, vulnerability with purpose and focus. Vulnerability is never easy, and living into it isn't likely ever to be popular. And so love too, real love, is probably pretty rare in this world. At best, we create it for only moments, but in those moments, the Holy Spirit dwells. As such, it makes sense to mark off space that belongs to the moments that the Holy Spirit dwells in. Growing up, I always knew that those around me, mainly my friends, my family, and my mentors, cared about me. And as a young teen, I almost rejected that love and guidance. I sought out a personality that would allow me to be distinguished as an isolated individual. But that person was not the real me and did not have a solid understanding of the Christian faith. Children are naturally self-centered. It is a psychological predisposition designed to protect us from the world when we are young. It is hard to recognize love when the world is all about you. You need to be pushed outside yourself to find that place where there is space for the spirit. I mean, if your soul is already full, you need to make space if God is going to dwell within it. In middle school, my mom forced me to attend our local youth group here at St. Thomas, and I will be forever changed for the better. By attending EYC, I learned more about what being a Christian meant. I discovered a place where the Holy Spirit dwells within and through the people who gathered there. I learned about community and how to involve myself in it and create a positive change in the world around me. Jesus came to me in the form of people in this church. I learned what love was really about, being vulnerable and passionate. And I was taught how to extend that love to those in the community through volunteering. 
I learned to push out the self and replace it with space that only comes through vulnerability and passion. I learned how to create space for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit connects all of us, and that was revealed to me through being involved in this church and being given the opportunity to grow and become an adult in it. I became a part of that web and learned what connection was all about. Those who love me are loved by the Father, and I am as well, and I am thankful to have the opportunity to share in that love with all of you. This is Ari Estes, one of our high school graduates, whom you have made space for over the past several years, whether you knew it or not, and whose space you made, I'm hoping, she just filled a little bit more with the Holy Spirit. And because that day's coming in two weeks, I sort of can't resist adding on just a few thoughts to what Ari said. She gave me a little bit of permission to do this, <laughs> a little. <laughs> because this is one of these beautiful images that, that comes to us from the Kabbalah, that's mystic Judaism, right? And the idea says that when God was forming us and forming the world, since God is everywhere, God made space within God's self for the world and for us to exist just like, this is really, really, really interesting, just like a pregnant woman makes space in her body for a new creation. Interestingly enough, Jesus says God has made space for us. And throughout the last several weeks of Easter, we've heard that even though God has made space for us so that we aren't sort of some fused robot entity with God, that God will not abandon us in that space. The resurrected Jesus comes back time and time again and says, God has made this space to lovingly create you, but God also intends to join you and walk with you in this space. You are still inside of God in whom you live and move and have your being. Today, Jesus tells us, and we only get to hear this one time during the year, he says, I am going, but I'm going to send for you, in Greek, the word, the paraclete which is translated most often as either comforter or as you heard today, advocate. And we understand that now to be the Holy Spirit, the advocate or the comforter. And I want you to think a little bit with me ahead of Pentecost about what the advocate does because quite honestly, this is a legal term. And this fits very well with a, a legal illusion in the Bible that many of you may not know was been operating since the first time the word appears in Job. And Job is the very first time a spiritual creature appears called the accuser. And do you know his name? We've given him a formal name. Satan. Which in Hebrew just means accuser. It's a legal word and it means chief prosecuting attorney. It does. Isn't that what they do? They accuse people <laughs> with evidence, right? Chief prosecuting attorney, DA. That's what the accuser does. It's a created being in Job, and sure enough, it accuses Job before God. In fact, the accuser even accuses God. Job doesn't really love you. No, no, no. Job shows you piety because you give him stuff. Stop giving him stuff and you'll find out he never loved you. It was all about him. The accuser 
visits each of us, I think, differently and in some ways inspires us to love better, right? Sometimes we think through that accusation. You say, am I in it just for me? I think not. It's nice to know, having thought through that. 13 years of marriage, I've thought through that some. Um, and it's actually me taken to a better place in my relationship, having come through it, right? Satan and Job, in, in the Hebrew Bible, can take us positive places. Now, I'm not talking about the red guy with the forked tail. That wasn't around then. I'm talking about the accuser who works for God. But sometimes, in that space God has made for us, accusations can get a little out of control. Accusations can, instead of inspiring us to grow and inspiring us to look deeper, can actually inspire us to quit and to feel isolated and alone and disconnected from the very God who made us and called us worthy and tries to nourish us. Accusations like, you're not a good parent. Accusations like, you're lazy in your work and they're going to find out one day. Accusations like, God doesn't really love you. God just puts up with you. Do you know what kind I mean? Maybe you haven't heard one of those. Maybe you've heard a different one. When Jesus says, I won't leave you alone in that space that God has carved out for you. I will send you an advocate. It's another one of those legal bits. There's an accuser. And in the American uh, court system, <laughs> there's a court-appointed defense attorney. That's the advocate. In the middle of whatever accusation you find yourself, says Jesus, you will not be alone. I will send you the court-appointed court defense attorney, the advocate. And the radical news is the accuser works for God the court-appointed defense attorney is God. Often, in the American legal system, we consider the roles opposite of those. My wife, who's an attorney, was put on a jury against her will. <laughs> in fact, when they were vetting her in the pool, they said, what do you think about this case? And she said, if the DA is pushing charges, he's guilty. <laughs> and they said, do you think you could think past that and be on the journey? Maybe. Well, we'll take her. <laughs> they were desperate for jurors that day, and what do you know, she became the foreman of the jury. <laughs> they decided the person was guilty. Um, <laughs> I, I share this story with you because in the jury pools I've been on, I've also shared similar convictions. And what's interesting, right, is that God is upending a legal metaphor of our experience. God is saying, in the middle of accusations, I will advocate for you. The Holy Spirit will advocate for you. In that space that I have carved out for you, I will fill it with advocacy. 
And this isn't just a neat way to think about God. I think it's a compelling way that we're called to follow God and be the very folks who breathe the Holy Spirit on one another. I want you to think about that word advocacy as being one of the most viable ways for that happens. And I want to tell you, you've already seen the fruits of your advocacy. Because this church advocates for youth and for children. In this church... Youth and children aren't just relegated to roles like acolyte. In this church, youth and children preach. In this church, youth and children bear the chalice. In this church, youth and children bear leadership. You've carved that space for it and they've filled it with the Holy Spirit. tell you about some advocacy that happened just this week in this place not just a way of saying thank you but as a way of saying you're already doing this work and our call is to continue to grow into it yesterday you were advocates for a family who lost their uncle like that they weren't as a family extremely connected to the Episcopal Church it was one of those funerals and I've done a few of these where when I come in in the chasuble some folks have never seen people wear them. <laughs> One of those that when they find out there's wine in that cup, they're not sure there should be. One of those where you say, the Lord be with you, and then you also say, and, and also with you too, because <laughs> nobody's really sure what to say. And the altar guild and the verger and the ushers came and advocated for them in their time of need. And in the middle of their loss, God had not left them alone, but was advocating for them. In the middle of their grieving, their loss, these people said, we want to help you entrust your uncle to the arms of the good shepherd. And the people who came in, who have never experienced some church or the Episcopal church, left having been deeply honored by your space and by your efforts, and you were advocates for them. In their moment of need, they were not alone. Yesterday, several people went and helped Habitat for Humanity build a house for somebody who is without one. In the middle of their space, you said you are not alone. God is advocating for you, and we will too. And this Tuesday morning, one of the day school students that you support here at this building, who doesn't attend this church, has decided he'd like to be baptized. Not at his church. He wants to be baptized at his school with his friends, with his peers, and with his teachers. And whether you know this boy or not, you have advocated for him because you have created a place where he has found it safe to trust he is not alone, that there are people who are behind him, and that is his experience of God here. And this is what Ari was talking about so well. God makes space and fills it. You are making space and fill it, and our encouragement in advance of Pentecost is to advocate for one another, not just in these ways, and not just for the people we like to, of course, 
but continue to grow in our advocacy for people we don't know yet, for people we're pretty sure we won't like if we get to know, for people we're already sure we don't like (laughs) because we do know them, to grow in our advocacy for those people because that's not just what God likes. That's who God is. And that is who and how Jesus sends us to fill the space that God has made.